There we go. Now we're live. All right. All right. Cheers. Well done. How's it going? So good. Feeling good. Uh, Josh. Well, hold on. You and I, I think we first met back in 2016. I went and spoke at a yeah. camp that you were at, and then we met up for a number of times. But then through the midst of you bouncing around the US and different places mm-hmm. and everything, it's been some good conversations along the way. So cheers to that. That's mm-hmm. awesome. But now you are out in the West. Mm-hmm. You're in Washington, right? Yeah, I'm in Seattle, Washington. Moved here in December, so I've been here for a few months. Um, and I'm at the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology. So I'm towards the end, just finished my second term of grad school, Dude. Uh, Master's of Counseling and Psychology. So we're, we're doing it. We're doing the thing. So it's actually called a mass. Wait, it's a school of theology and, and psychology. Yeah. So it used to be called, it was started by Dan Allender. Um, okay. I didn't know the school existed or Dan Allender existed until like last year, but, um, uh, originally it was called like Mars Hill theological seminary or something oh, okay. like that. Um, but it w- had no connection to the Mark Driscoll church. And that was one of their reasons for changing the name. Um, cause right around the time they started was when the Mars Hill church started here. And okay. so hand, I don't know how long ago they changed it to the Seattle school. Um, of theology and psychology. So yeah, their primary their primary frameworks that they work from are psychological, theological, and biblical studies. So my undergrad was in biblical studies, but I think in like my second master's was in theology, but I want to say actually half of it was psychology anyways. Mm. The idea of theology and psychology working together is like, endlessly fascinating to me and I, I can't believe that more pastors aren't trained in how those two things interact so oh yeah like i one of my best friends i'm about to meet with him after this he's in the mdiv program he's like the only guy in his cohort in the mdiv program okay. it's a very small small program but um he's gonna be such an you know whether he becomes a pastor or whatever he goes on to do like he he's getting to learn so much like their therapeutic type stuff and like psychological stuff through the, through his program there, which is super cool. So maybe we could start with that. What drew you to that school then? Well, I was starting to look at, I kind of decided and realized I wanted to pursue counseling. And so I was starting to look, starting to look at grad schools. Wasn't like super thrilled with, the idea of going back to school after having not been in school for five years. Right. Um, and so I say I was looking like I looked at a handful of schools and, and not in any serious way. And then randomly stumbled upon this school via a podcast. And um, it was just one of those things where I, I went on their website, started reading their stuff. They have an amazing website, first of all, but I started just reading about what they were about. And um, I think the thing that stood out to me the most was I could tell that because I wasn't planning on going to a Christian school. I was planning on going to a secular school. And so to for counseling and for counseling. And so to end up on a um, Christian school um, site and reading it, um, they just talked about, it just seemed like a place where they handled questions really, really well. Mm. Um, 
and that felt like a place that I wanted to to be at. Um, and I think I recognized like a lot of my own um, questions that I still am, you know, still have and I'm still very much so processing. And I recognized that I wouldn't get I wouldn't get the processing of those and and the answering to those or you know or just the the searching through those at a secular program and mm-hmm. and I would say I also recognized um I think I recognized that if I went to a secular program that didn't include any level of spirituality that that felt lacking um yeah. that felt like miss- mm-hmm. that felt like missing something so um yeah it just was it hit a few different things that it, it, and it just felt like it was just one of those like bodily senses of it felt yeah, pretty right from the, for as soon as I started reading about it, I felt very like at home and excited about it. Yeah. Um, and then just kept taking steps forward and I've been, I've been really uh, happy with my decision. So it's been sweet. Man. But the idea that um, spirituality and psychology could work together is pretty mm-hmm. wild. I, I think it's actually the, the Greek word for soul is word for it's the word psyche. Mm-hmm. So psychology is soulology. Mm. And so why wouldn't soulology and spirituality want to work together? But it's mm-hmm. it's funny because I feel like these two areas like church life and then therapeutic counseling, whatever, it's like they're both in a turf war sometimes for mm-hmm. which one really changes people's lives. And it's like mm-hmm. just stop that dualistic argument and realize that they can work together in a really powerful way. If you let them, it doesn't have to be either or right. Yeah. And it's, it's super interesting. Like, um, I feel very new in this field because my undergrad was not in psychology or anything. Um, so I'm still feel like, you know, I'm just starting to step into this and starting to like learn and I'm learning a lot, but, um, it feels like in what I've been reading and learning over the past year, is it seems like this field um, and even like it stretches into like the medical field is starting to see the um, benefit and the Mm -hmm. just kind of the reality of it's almost this, like there's something else going on beyond like Mm -hmm. this science that we've, you know, how we've come up with, with everything over the past hundred years or so. Um, And like, for example, I did a, we, we, had to research, uh, indigenous healing practices alongside of a, um, like a psychotherapy, um, theory last term and super, super interesting. I, I researched ayahuasca, which is, oh, yeah, okay. that's, a whole, that's a whole other thing, but super, yeah, just super interesting. And just learning how, like how these ancient indigenous practices, you know, all sorts of different ones, um, how they're being used today and how they are having like actually a lot of benefit today and how there's actually maybe sometimes even more truth or benefit in those um these ancient practices than like modern medicine yeah it's really arrogant to think that previous generations didn't know something yeah right it's really really arrogant well and they just had a whole different way of you know looking at things um right yeah now before this, though, you were out in Montana. I remember mm-hmm. actually having a like a text conversation back and forth with you because you're like, "Oh man, I'm going to be outside in my tent 
and a hailstorm oh, yeah. is coming. I'm like, get get inside. Like, you do not want to be in a tent when hail is coming. Even your car can be dangerous. Like, get under yeah. a bridge overpass. And yeah, uh, you survived. Funny. But yeah, I was in my tent and I just like I had been traveling across country. And at this point, I was in South, South Dakota in the, in the Black Hills. And so I'm getting there at sunset. I like yeah. just get my tent set up as the sun goes down. And then I hear this thunder like rolling over and like I start looking up stuff on my phone and I realize, oh, there is a big thunderstorm with ping pong ball sized hail. Um, I'm like, maybe, you know, maybe ping I'll be okay. I don't know. So, of course, I text you and, and you're like, yeah, you need to get out of there. So I threw everything in my car and somehow I'm like, I was like running away from the storm and somehow oh. found an Airbnb. Yeah. I'm glad you lived. I've had yeah. cracked windshields and cracked radiators as a result of hailstorms. So, yeah. Anyways, but you're on your way out to a place in Montana, and that's really what I want to ask you about. Mm-hmm. Is um, it you went out and for about was it a year and a half? Yeah, I think like if you total up the actual months I was there, it was like thirteen or fourteen months. Okay, um, but about yeah, about a year and a half span of time. And it was an organization specifically built around the idea of helping pastors or just anyone who's going through burnout. It kind of started, the idea of it started in like the early 2000s with just um, basically just like a group of pastors that just started spending time together um, like regularly, like once or twice a year and doing these like cool fishing trips in Yellowstone and on the Bighorn. And they would like do it up. Like they would get a, like a chef and um, they just found so much meaning out of it. And so much, um, yeah, just, they got so much out of it that they started over the years to realize, wait, this could be something bigger. Um, So then what it, you know, is now and what it's uh, kind of evolved into is um, they it's it's primarily pastors i actually ironically enough was just with the executive director monday um he actually lives down in in eugene and i was just visiting him but um uh he was telling me that it's like 70 percent or so of the guests that come out are pastors and the rest i would say are like um like we'd get a good handful of like young life people there's a lot of nonprofit leaders Mm. um and then and then like businessmen and then just like random People, majority of them are all coming from like some form of um, kind of, you know, Christian something. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean like they all worked vocationally in like a okay. Christian field. But because um, okay. we, we and, and it was all over the map because we had people that were like from Hollywood. But then we would have people from, you know, Nashville and people from yeah, out here, like from Seattle um, and people from all kind of areas of faith and, and whatnot. Within so the Christian, uh, you would, you would help them go out fly fishing during the day, and mm-hmm. then the end of the night, you would sometimes send pictures. I mean, Montana looks absolutely gorgeous, even in mm-hmm. the middle of the bleak winter, right? But you'd sometimes send some pictures of uh, these bonfire conversations that you would have with these retreatants that would come to where you are, and there were a few times you said that you were having these really amazing conversations i remember you tried to put me in contact with this other guy who's like mm-hmm. kind of from the east coast we never really connected but what were some of the 
the content of those conversations. When you talk with people at the end of the day and they're talking mm -hmm. about the burnout that they experienced from working at nonprofits or ministries, what was that like for you to hear yeah. people share that stuff? Well, you know, what's interesting is, so I kind of have like, I have some ideas of, of um, like those like kind of deeper, heavier conversations. But what's interesting I was just thinking of is like, honestly, majority of the conversations were about the most random things um, because the, the, the way that it was set up, it was like, there was no structure, there's no program. It was literally the design was to like, what you would do with your, your best friend, you, you like, that's just what we're going to do with, with people. Oh, and then, nice. and like, the only thing that people had to do, the only thing they had to kind of be there for was dinner at this time around the table. If they wanted to stay in the room the rest of the day, they could do that. And the only, the only, um, the only thing they like were in a sense required to be at was dinner at 7 PM, okay. uh, around the table. So like the interesting thing is, um, you just kind of, I think there was a sense of pastors and these, and these leaders in, in, in a way that they don't ever get to do, um, mm. kind of kicking off their shoes a little bit and kind of leaning back and kind of, and letting down, um, yeah, letting down any barriers. And so you all of a sudden just get, it just, it just feels like you're sitting with a friend and you're just, you know, t you know, and usually you're meeting a ton of people. So usually they're like, Oh, you know, how'd you end up out here in Montana? And, you know, you're right. kind of doing all that the small talk thing um, and getting to know each other a little bit. And then, and then you, you know, usually those more deeper conversations would happen actually at the, at the table. Um, so, so they Is would that right? over food, over food. Yeah. So that was like the main thing in terms of, if you want to even call it, program but basically um there was this long table and so trips consisted usually of like 15 to 18 uh guys and they'd all get around this one big table have an amazing meal um and there would be not like a sermon or not like a lesson but usually just like a question or like a couple mm -hmm. questions and um they would just go around and kind of all share and and I got to sit in on not as many as I would have liked, but I got to sit on um, in on a lot of those, and I was just like a fly on the wall, um, getting to to hear these these guys, you know, talk about the the things that they were, you know, had been going through or were you know were currently going through or the things that they were getting a brief pause from. Um, oh yeah, you know, in, in the five days they were in Montana, um, and. Yeah. And so I would say like, those were more so the times that I, uh, like those kind of like pointed, um, like heavier stories of like what the, what was the deeper stuff going on, you know, wow. behind, um, you know, yeah. in their lives, uh, would come out for sure. Well, I, I would imagine the fact that they had to fly to Montana often mm -hmm. cross state lines gave them the ability to drop a number of walls, right? Because if they were even within the same town, they might run mm -hmm. into someone. And we all know that when you work in some of these high profile giver um, professions, you feel like you always have to be ready to give and never really mm -hmm. able to receive. So I would bet even having to travel to have a week long quote sabbath was really helpful for people 
right? But then, yeah. Would you say that what were, what were some of the more interesting conversations then that you remember from the dinner conversations? Yeah. Well, some of the so I think one of the most interesting things was kind of like you're saying they'd they'd fly there. Um, sometimes people you know, didn't even really know how they got there. They're like, I don't know what this is or where I am. This person invited me and I said, yes, and they, you know, they told me they would, I wouldn't regret it. Um, and yeah, we were in the middle of nowhere. Like there's like basically no cell phone reception. Um, we would also like, we wouldn't take their friends away, but we would request like, Hey, like don't be checking work email. Don't be on your phone. Um, and there was right. also like no real superset structure. So they were kind of always, there's this, there's this thing of like, well, what's, what's at 9 PM. And then what's at this time? What's it, you know? And it's like, no, oh, we're, we're just, we're just chilling. Like we're just hanging out. Um, and so I think like one of the things that I realized that was, I was like, Oh, that that's really interesting was a lot of these, if not most of these, um, people coming out, uh, they were like, this is the first time I've done anything like this in five years, 10 years, 15 years. Um, 15 and not years. Not, without yeah. taking a five day break. Yes, yeah, like not only, not, and not only taking like a five day break, oh, you know, in that capacity of like, um, like leaving your family and leaving like work, um, but even just like the conversations they were having, that, that I would say this is what was even more interesting is I remember people saying like, man, I can't, I can't remember when the last time is I've like gotten to have conversations like this. And in my mind, I'm like, wow. Wait, I like I I feel like I'm having these conversations all the time. Um, like, yes, I work here, but even before I worked here, like I thought that's what happened. Like, it was supposed to happen within um, churches and like Christian contexts, and like, you know. And so it blew my mind that these leaders and pastors um, weren't having like these times where you know. And that was the point of of that place. Um, but like, it blew my mind that they weren't having these in-depth like just real honest um hmm. like non-judgmental like hey this is the real me and this is the real you and we're not trying to compare you know ministries or churches you know it's like right. this is this is just like real connection i guess because a lot of people who are in ministry they're trying to moderate those types of conversations or host them and so they never really get to actually um, participate. I I know of some pastors that say it's like, yeah, I'm a part of a small group at my church, but I don't lead it. And to me, I think that doesn't that doesn't count because they still know you primarily through that title. They say that they'll let you drop the title and just be who you are, but the reality is that's always in there, right? So I like the idea of actually going to a completely different context, different state and doing that. Did you, um, did you ever notice a connecting thread or theme through a lot of these people that were experiencing burnout? Um, I would say that it was interesting. It's interesting because, uh, me coming in and the, you know, the year and a half I worked there, like you had people who you had people who had been, had been coming for years. Um, and so it, interesting hearing their stories. Um, 
and then people who maybe this was their first time. And so you had people who like, maybe they're like, wow, like this is where I was a year ago, or this is where I was two years ago. And like, you know, they, they would maybe even be in the room with people that were with them in that same room two years prior. And like, Right. kind of get to tell of the the growth and the change and like the healing that had taken place in those years. Um, but then you also had people who were like, they needed to be there and like their life had just fallen apart like two days before or like the week before. Wow. Um, yeah. And like, I wouldn't say that that was like all the time, but I would say fairly regularly, like there would be one or two, like, you know, usually it was like one person on a trip who got like added in or, um, you know, got invited in cause it was like, you know, there's kind of this giant network. Um, and so the, was it's it because all, they were in crisis mode. There was a uh, certain people that showed up in full crisis mode. Yeah. So like the, it's the, um, it works very like invitationally. And so like, it's actually kind of a hard place to get to cause you can't just sign up for a retreat. Um, you have to be like invited. And so, but because of that, like everyone there, um, that comes is like pretty well known and pretty connected because they, you know, they've come on, on trips before. And so like, if there was someone who was like, Hey, I have this friend, this, you know, this is happening in his life. Um, like, can we get them out? We'd be, we'd do like everything we could to, to get wow. them out there. So yeah, I definitely had people in my boat that like, you know, and usually those stories, like I wasn't, you know, it wasn't my position to try to like get into their, you know, what was going on in their life necessarily, but I would either, you know, hear a little bit, at the dinner table or maybe in conversation with them um, a little bit about what was going on in their, in their life. And uh, yeah, I mean, you had people who um, like there was people who their own like ministries or organizations had like tried to kick them out or like stab them in the back in some way. And you had people who like their marriage was falling apart um, or like, or their ministry was falling apart um, or like their faith was falling apart. Um, and so I wouldn't say that that was like the majority of people necessarily maybe, maybe over the span of, you know, years, if, you know, everyone had been at that point more or less to an extent, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that was, you know, that was definitely one of the things I took away from that is like, man, everyone, everyone has these points in life of like profound struggle and, and uh, you know, there's times where things are, yeah, where people are just at their wits end because everything's upside down, and um, and you know, thank God they were able to. Not that not that them coming up for five days like does a ton necessarily, but um, right. you know that they got to get away and 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 get kind of plugged in there for a little while, and you know, however way, whatever way that was able to help them, you know. Have it's um, to me, it's that idea of the true self and the false self. I really, I mean, I'm a massive fan of Thomas Merton, but the idea that all of us cultivate a false self, a false version of ourselves that we think other people will buy into the most because we think that's the version that the other person will love. Mm -hmm. And so then we build up a false self rather than being our true self. And I, I really think that churches are almost uniquely specialized at kind of making people want to have a false self mm -hmm. because we all want to present ourselves in a particular way. We want to be the pastor that does everything. We want to be the person that has a successful thing. Duh, 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 duh. 
But then after 5, 10, 15 years, like you said, there's a fallout of living from that false self and never actually being your true self. And maybe that's part of what you experience is these dinner conversations of people actually being their true self mm-hmm. for the first time in 15 years. And like, my God, right? Because we all know it's possible to be in dysfunctional work environments. But at what point does dysfunctional like tip over into actually being toxic Mm -hmm. full scale to us and yet we're Mm -hmm. blind to it you know that would be that would be one of the questions i would like to ask somebody or i'd maybe just have a conversation with someone how do you know when your life has switched from being just like moderately Mm -hmm. dysfunctional to now it's just toxic um Mm -hmm. because my goodness i i the ministry machine chews people out Mm-hmm. If you have, if you come into it with this idea that I need to be everything and do everything and answer everything and man. Yeah. And I think, I think that, um, you know, I think the bigger part of it is, is exactly what you're saying is like, is that, that true self or false self. And that was definitely a sense that I got was like this, you know, I mean, and, and that was what we were trying to accomplish. It was like, yeah, this is the first time in however many years that, you know, people are truly getting to, you know, kind of cut loose a little bit and just be themselves and relax. Um, right. But another big part of it too was like with burnout is uh, the, you're never, you're never stop. Like you always have to achieve. You always have to do more. You always have to have like more, you know, grow your church more, raise more money or whatever. And like my, um, the founder, um, my boss, like he talked a lot about this cause he experienced it, experienced it himself. And so oh. he was a big, he was actually a big, um, like he talked a lot about, um, kind of getting like hormonal testing and stuff and seeing what like was physiologically going on in your body wow. because there's actually, and I think this extends beyond like, you know, ministry people, um, to, to, uh, to like people that are in those high up, like high caliber positions. Mm-hmm. Um, but just adrenal, adrenal, like, uh, like your adrenal levels are so low, like your adrenal gland has just been maxed out cause it's been for years functioning on like complete hundred percent, 110%, wow. just pumping, pumping, pumping. And so, yeah, I mean, wait, wait, um, hold on. The adrenal gland has been over functioning for years. Yeah. Is that what you said? And so mm-hmm. then it's output is diminished. What happens? It's, it's, it, yeah. And I, I mean, I, I don't know a, like a ton in detail, but like basically it, it's, it's like tired out. It's like, can't, it can't put out what it needs to be putting out. Um, and what my what my boss um, Brian like what he talked about for his own personal experience was like, uh, it um, it felt like it felt like he was spinning his tires kind of like uh, mm. like he's like okay I used to be moving like if I was on a bike and pedaling this hard I used to be like able to move at this speed pedaling this hard but now I'm pedaling the same speed if not harder and getting like a quarter of the distance. Um, okay. Yeah. So the same effort does not produce the same output as it used to. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Like you're just, you're, you're, you know, cause they're, those types of people are used to functioning like so high and so like, go, go, go. Um, and so like accomplish things, get things done that like all of a sudden went like their body eventually can't do it anymore. 
Um, wow. And, and then they're just like, they're like, what's going on? Like I used to be able to, you know, do all these things. And now all of a sudden, like I'm, I'm trying just as hard, putting just as much effort, if not more effort, but I, I can't, I can't do and what then I used does to do. that increase. Like then the people try to double their input to try to have the same. Exactly. Yeah. And, and then, then it's and just then, a treadmill of ever increasing overwork and overfunctioning. Yeah. And I think that's what, like, that's a big piece that like leads to burnout. I'm sure like there's probably different ways you could define burnout or different, um, mm -hmm. yeah, different causes or different types. But, um, yeah, I, I would think that like, especially when you have that combination of like one, one thing in, in preparing for this, that I wrote down, it was like, I think pastors are some of the most like lonely, isolated people. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And, and so you have that, um, and you have this, like the truth and the false self, false self that we were talking about. And then mixed with like having to do max performance, um, and like having to always like oh. go, go, go. And, um, and, and yeah. And like carrying the weight of an organization or a church or, um, you know, all of those things and you're, and, and it's even worse than like a business I would think. Cause a business is like, a business is a business. You're not trying to like care for people exactly. Um, right. And Which so, there's always and, people to care for. So there's yeah. no, there's no field goal. There's no end zone. There's always yeah. more people to care about. Wow. Yeah. So that's, I mean, when you start thinking about all those things, it's like, yeah. I, one, of, one of the things I walked away with is like, I, I don't ever want to be a pastor because that's, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds really, really hard. Oh yeah. So then would you say your experience out there shifted the way you think about anything? Like, okay. So hmm. one of the questions I asked you ahead of time was, what questions did that place working there lead you to have? Sure. Mm -hmm. But also like in what ways ha did your experience of hearing people with burnout change how you experience or view the world? Mm -hmm. I think that, oh yeah, let me take a look at my notes here and see if, uh, what I had written down from. Yeah. Um, well, kind of what I was saying earlier, um, was that like how everyone, how everyone struggles and everyone, you know, mm. at some point goes through, goes through those things. Um, I would for sure say it like didn't make, you know, I already have worked in a church and, and, um, it, it, it definitely did not make going back to working in a church seem any more attractive. <laughs> mm. Um, yeah, I think it just it emphasized the the need for community and the need for like relationship and um, the need for like vulner vulnerability within those relationships. Um, right. And just the like lack that of that that there is, especially for yeah uh, yeah for people in leadership. Um, I think for me with that, when I, when I think of that or when I think of like, you know, leadership, then it's like, that doesn't make me want to, whether it's a pastor or another, you know, doesn't make me want to like step into a leadership role. Cause you realize, you know, yeah. the difficulties of, but then it's, you know, then it, that's a, a question of like, why is that, 
you know, like that was one of the things actually I had written down was like, why, why, um, why do we feel like we need to have it all together? Um, like why, why do, you know, yes, I recognize, uh, the position that like pastors are in and the position that leaders are in. And like, I guess you would hope they're further along, whatever that means. Um, that they're a little bit like, more perfect than you are. Yeah. But that's like, you know, even as I'm saying it, it's like, yeah. it's already like built into like how I think is like, there's this sense of like, Oh, this, this person is the pastor. So they, they have it all together. Or they should have it all together. Um, yeah. and if they don't have it all together, then they shouldn't, then what are they doing there? Um, and, and so then that's why you have, that's why you have all these uh, issues is because it's like, there's no room, there's no room for the pastor or the, you know, whatever ministry leader to, um, to struggle or to have questions or to like, therefore be really genuine in any way. Uh, And granted, I will say like, I, I did hear stories of like pastors that got to a point where they're like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And so they like, stood up in front of their church and like were honest and like sometimes that was met with um sometimes that was met with like okay well then like you're out and other times that was met with like actually like a really like embrace i think i think actually rob bell's story which rob bell's not someone who came out there but um knowing from his book i think that was like his experience wasn't it It was where he kind of shared to the church where he was at and like Mm. they kind of embraced him and helped him along like yeah his his journey and all of that. Well, and there's a difference. Maybe you could probably say more about this because you're going to school for it now. That's cool. <laughs> there's a difference between expecting your spiritual leaders to be perfect and have it all together versus mm-hmm. having them just be healthy. Mm-hmm. Right? Because I feel like perfection is a standard that's unachievable for everyone. But mm-hmm. being healthy is something different than being perfect and oh, being yeah. over-functioning and overworking and all of that. But just being a healthy person, that alone is a really hard enough thing, let alone mm-hmm. trying to be perfect in front of everyone, you know? Yeah, and I guess I guess defining, yeah, like then the question is like what is what does it mean to be healthy? Um mm-hmm. and and also what um yeah. And then, and then I guess within like whatever, whatever just categorizes healthy, like what is the ebbs and flows of, you know, that, cause I think, yeah. I think the nature of, of, of being human, the nature of like health is, um, is like that change. Like I, I often think of like winter, like trees, like you look at a tree and oh. its leaves are, you know, its leaves are all gone and uh-huh. it looks pretty dead, but it needs that. Like, and but it's not really dead. It, oh, I see what you mean. Not, yeah, uh-huh. but it's not really dead, and it, you know it's still a healthy tree. Um, like that's still a, a perfectly fine healthy tree. And once the weather warms up and like the seasons change, it'll bud and and be you know visibly flourishing. Um, but like maybe during winter, during fall into winter, like it's not outwardly doesn't outwardly seem healthy. And maybe it, you know like so so I don't know, that might be an interesting like. Well, that's actually a great analogy. What what it makes me think of is we need to think in terms of larger seasons or rhythms. Because, yeah, okay, in in the Christian sub 
culture, you're supposed to have a Sabbath every seven, every seven days. But that's mm-hmm. still different from saying, I'm going to actively have less productivity for three months of the year than I will Ooh. in the other nine months of the year. Mm-hmm. That's not something that's even done or even the idea that, you know what, every seven years, I'm going to take a full year off. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The, the idea of seasons or rhythms like that, of taking three months of, you know what, for my job as a pastor, I'm not going to lead Bible studies for three months. And instead, I'm just going to read books and enjoy life. And actually let that, because let's be honest, the reason why some sermons are really boring, right? You can tell me if this is right or wrong. Some sermons are really boring because the pastor's life is boring. Oh, that's actually, I've never thought that, but that sounds sounds pretty uh, Like, oh my God, like no wonder your sermons are tragic. Your life is tragic. Like you have no Mm -hmm. adventure no excitement there's no growth or learning and so of course your sermons have none of those things then mm-hmm. yeah and i think that you might know, sound might cynical getting, i apologize well and i was gonna say like this might be getting into a little bit of a different topic but like i think then that brings up the question of like you know and talking about rhythms and all those things is like what you know why is it that we that the church needs to be a like you know hour to two hour you know, show or performance or, you know, structured, um, thing every single Sunday. Um, like my, my buddy who is about to, he just started working at a new church around here and he was telling me that they, I don't know how this is different or the same during COVID, but like, um, their church, I think he said they only have like what would be seen as like a, a service once a month. Um, or something like that. Wow. And then they, they like every other Sunday, they're doing something that's much more like in the community um, mm-hmm. or much more like service oriented. And then even, then I think even within that, if there's a fifth Sunday, like every three months, there's a fifth Sunday, they just don't right. meet at all. And um, I know the, the church I attended like a handful of times when I could in, in Billings, Montana, um, they did that like every fifth every time there's a fifth Sunday, they didn't meet. And it was just like, Hey, like be with your family, like just rest, just eat food and talk. Like, yeah. That's kind of counter cultural, even in the Christian subculture, you Mm. know? So how about from your time in Montana, Mm -hmm. what would you say are some of the greater insights or pieces of wisdom you think you got from that season? Um, well, a few of them are like, kind of, you know, I was saying to you before we we started recording, like, um, like one of the biggest ones that was more, more of like a personal takeaway, um, was I kind of stepped into that season at, at, um, at where I was working, um, just very, like, very cynical and very, um, I hadn't been in any type of Christian church context for like a year at that point. Um, and so I was wrestling uh, with a lot of a lot of questions, um, mm. and kind of actually when I got there, the first two weeks I was like, "Do I did I make the right decision? Like this, you know, I haven't been in a, a ministry Christian you know setting, um, 
this feels very like uncomfortable to be here. And it's like bringing up a lot of things that I like have been not having to deal with for the past year. And I don't like this. Um, and what it taught me was how to exist and not only exist, but like be in relationship and be in community with mm. um, other people when you like don't necessarily agree with their beliefs or, or, or aren't sure where you are. And it actually taught me, it was the first time, um, like it was the first time that I entered into a Christian community and I, I made a, the whole, like every step of the process and going there, I made it a point to like each, each person I talked to to kind of like get interviewed was like, Hey, like really like what you guys do. It sounds really cool. I'd love to come out just so you know, I'm not sure if I'm a Christian. Like, I'm not sure if I believe any of this. Um, is that okay? <laughs> and like, you know, thankfully they were like, yeah, like we're all figuring it out. Like, come on out. Um, and, and so that was the first time I stepped into that a, a Christian context or community where like the first time we, there was like a Bible study, I was just like, Hey, like this is me and this is where I'm at. Um, you know, and that wasn't like, it wasn't like that was a topic of discussion all the time. Um, it would come up with people, but right. you know, I still had amazing friendships and actually I would say those friendships were way better because of that. And mm. we were, you know, people were able to ask me questions about like, Oh, how are you, you know, what are you thinking now about this or that? Um, so yeah, really like learning how to not only be more real and vulnerable, um, which is like all the things that we're, we're discussing, you know, have been discussing, but, um, how to, yeah, how to, it's so hard nowadays, like everything is so, um, what's, what's the word, uh, very like conflictual and like two, it has to be like one or the other. There's a word for that. Oh, dualism. Right Dual, dualistic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah dualistic. Um, but it's like, can we exist? Like, how do we do relationship, um, and community and like, even within like not agreeing with each other or, you know, how, what does that look like? Um, right. So I learned, I learned, you know, and how do we be uncomfortable with like, you know, it's not always comfortable to be in relationship with someone. If you're like, Ooh, like I don't agree with what they just said. Yeah. Especially. Yeah. So, and I think. Especially if you're part of the, the Christian subculture in some ways, if that's actually the only differences you have are people that are like Methodist, but not Presbyterian, you know, that's not real difference. There's like mm -hmm. some difference, but if you're a part of a Christian subculture, it's, I'm not sure if it really prepares you to sit down and actually be able to have a full meal with someone who actually believes completely different than you mm -hmm. about the world. Yeah. So it sounds like you actually kind of grew in your ability to, was it like sit in the nuances of things? Is that Yeah. It? To, sit in the, to sit in the nuance and to like, you know, I think there's, there's a line between trying to figure out like, you know, and this is more personal for like me trying to figure out like how I do this is like, okay, where do I, you know, where do I voice my, my opinion or thought, you know, we're having conversations and someone is saying things in a certain way that like assumes, you know, I get right. this all the time. Like there's the assumption that like, I believe everything they believe, you know? And so it's like, where do I, um, you know, say, Hey, actually like, I don't agree with that. Or where do I just kind of, you know, almost like not in, not necessarily agreement, but like not in like, I understand what you're saying and um, mm. like tracking with you. And like, are you, you're able to still, 
like have those conversations. And um, I think I think kind of I'm continuing to learn that now in my program um, here. Like, um, I mean, we have such a wide like range of people in in the in the program, all, all sorts of different like beliefs. Um, yeah, like learning how like learning what's going on inside you as you are hearing someone else talk or as you're, you know, interacting with them and, you know, paying attention to that and paying attention to like what's going on in the other person. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's not easy. Um, but it's, I, it's, it's definitely like a learned thing that, um, I'm very much like still learning to do. And I think, I think it's very easy to, especially in today's world to like immediately go to like, Oh, I disagree. So either I need to like, be angry about this or like make a post on social media or like fight back or yeah um, of course you know or just like go vent to someone about like how which you know i've done all of these things probably in the past but um yeah can we exist in relationship and not agree i think we can it's just not easy so what would you say trying to think of how to uh, ask this question for someone that didn't have the experience in Montana that you did, mm -hmm. what would okay. you hope everyone mm. knew that you learned from your time there? Mm. That's a great, I, I like, I like that. Uh, I like that question. What is something that you um, wish everyone would know and like incorporate as like a piece of life wisdom? Yeah. I would say like, we're all figuring this out <laughs> um, okay because like i would have like we would have the you know the pastor that like everyone looks up to or whatever and they're figuring you know their life out and how to do christianity or how to do ministry uh or how to do their job um at their stage of life their, yeah yeah how to do their marriage how to do being a father or mother, um, like everyone is figuring it out. <laughs> and so to put this, like, to put this kind of, um, to have this idea Does that, that include no one has all the answers. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, like, you know, I have all the answers and you have all the answers, John, because we're on this, you know, we're talking here. And okay. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Like no one has all the answers and, I think that that might even tie into what, I, what we were just talking about. Like, how do we exist uh, in relationship yeah. and disagree is like, well, neither of us have all the answers. And if we're able to, if we're able to agree on that, that neither of us have all the answers, um, then that's like maybe the first step. That's pretty good. Mm -hmm. So then bringing it full circle, you're now in a program that's about theology and psychology. Yeah. Do you feel like your time in Montana was actually really good preparation for then talking oh, about yeah. how those two things interact? Yeah, I mean, I would say being in Montana is what led me, I mean, not in and of itself, but like it was during my time in Montana that I realized I wanted to become a counselor. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so like, you know, there's a lot of other, other job experiences and life experiences that also, you know, have led me there. But um, yeah, being there and recognizing the the need um in in within christian circles but within the world like people 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 need help and people need people yeah. and um 
and yeah, just recognizing that within myself, um, that like spurred me on to pursue, pursue therapy, um, in the way that I'm pursuing it. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think, I think being out there in Montana, yeah, I guess it just gave me an, a unique insight into, cause I wasn't doing, nor was really anyone doing like specifically ther- therapeutic work there. Um, in terms of like, there wasn't like a licensed therapist on site or anything like that. Um, but yeah, just seeing, seeing like the reality of people's lives, even the people yeah. who, you know, seemingly have it all together or seemingly have all the answers. Um, and, you know, people go through really, really horrible, awful things um, or yeah. just really hard, hard parts of life. So um, I think in that way it, it prepared me. And then um, for myself personally, yeah, like holding, holding like the questions I have and, being in an environment for over a year where like I probably like on those big kind of theological or whatever religious, you know, questions, like I'd probably have disagreed with, you know, majority of the people that I was living and interacting with yet I had amazing friendships and relationships. And so, you know, I can continue to do that with, you know, the people I'm interacting with at school or the people I'm interacting with at work or in life. And still learning how to do that. But I mean, let's be honest, whether you're doing it officially in like a professional sense or whatever, let's be honest, there is, in my mindset, there is nothing more Christ-like than just being a healer Mm -hmm. in whatever profession you find yourself, right? Mm -hmm. It has so little to do with being perfect like being Christ-like doesn't mean that you're perfect. Being Christ-like to me means that as best as you are able, you're trying to be a healer to the people around you. Mm. Right. And no matter how we go about that, like you said, a lot of people are going through terribly difficult times. And sometimes the people that are the healers have never allowed themselves to be healed by others. Mm. Right. And that's part of what your program was out in Montana. Like these people are constantly healing others and yet they've never actually allowed themselves to be vulnerable and let other people tend to their wounds. So my goodness. Um, well, I'll be honest. I enjoyed it. I, first off, I always enjoy our conversations. That's why we yeah, sometimes we meet up at taverns or bars and we talk for like three oh, yeah. or four hours and that's not mm-hmm. an exaggeration, mm-hmm. but, uh, no, I appreciate it, man. Thank you for your, yeah. thank you for your time. Yeah, I wish uh, I wish we were in a in a bar or tavern right now, but it's a little a <laughs> uh, little bit of distance between us. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll, next I'll, time. I'll drink one. I'll drink one. Uh, I'll toast to you tonight and, and drink one and, and pretend uh, I'm with you. Okay, that sounds good, man. <laughs> I think it's time to sign off. Thank you for your time, man. Yeah. Okay. Let me uh, end this. There we go. Thank Thanks, you. Man.